I'm Brother Don Cullen. I'll be sharing the Word of God with you all tonight. Welcome to those who are watching online, and glad to see everybody here on this uh, windy, wet night. Praise God. Uh, So I'm going to start with a word of prayer. We have some folks we want to lift up, and uh, Brother Brother Ed, Sister Sandy Gilbert, Sister Jean Camerata, Marie Cellarelli, Sister Michelle Fellman, so many more. Brother Bert had that emergency surgery. The report is he's doing well. His faith is strong, hoping to go home tomorrow. So let's lift up all those folks in prayer and also for the word of God tonight. So Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gathering tonight. Lord, to worship you, Lord, to lift you up. You are so worthy, O God. We praise you so much, Lord. We're so thankful for the worship team and everybody here tonight. Father, we just lift up these folks that are suffering and and they're burdened down by illness and sickness. So, God, we pray that your grace would be upon them, Lord, that they would feel the comfort of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that they would that they would heal, oh God, that they would feel the touch of the great physician, Father God, even tonight, Lord Jesus, oh Lord. We just ask you to intervene on their behalf, oh Lord, not just the folks I named, but others, Lord. We can't think of everybody, oh Lord. But lift them up, Lord Jesus. Lift them up from their bed of affliction, Lord. If it be your will, Lord, prolong their days. Give them better life quality. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord. Thank you for your word. Help me with it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you. Hallelujah. What a mighty God we serve. What a privilege. What a privilege. Hallelujah. So um, I'm going to share tonight. This is the eighth in a series of what it means to follow Jesus, to be his disciples. And so thanks for joining us tonight. Last time I began a series within a series. The big series is the marks of being a disciple of Jesus. You know, when Jesus, the actual times when Jesus said, follow me or my disciples will, will do this, he named certain things that would distinguish his disciples. We've covered many, many things about being Jesus' disciples. We spent two times that I shared about our significant mark, which is our love for one another. And last time I started sharing about uh, being fishers of men. So this will be the second message about being fishers of men, and maybe there'll be a third as the Lord leads. So I shared a couple weeks ago about the importance of being fishers of men, and I emphasized the fact that Christians are to be good news bearers to those around us. We're to be fishers of men, Jesus said. He said if we would follow him, he would make us fishers of men, which is really good news. Hallelujah. And he also said, and we covered this last time, that he is the Lord of the harvest. In other words, he's in charge of the whole harvest. We just got to do our part in it. And also we learned that the Father is working on people all the time. God is teaching people all the time through life lessons to prepare them for when the gospel comes to them. And the Holy Spirit is drawing men. So we're working in partnership with God when we do our part. We're just doing a small part, brethren, right? We're just doing a small part. But it's so necessary to be faithful in that, st- in that small part. So let me start with a little story. Many years ago, in the late 1800s, a shoe manufacturer sent a salesman to Africa to open up a new territory. And a few weeks later, he telegrammed back to the office. You know, in those days, they did telegrams. They didn't do internet or emails or phones. And he sent, he sent this telegram back to the office. And it says, uh, this is a terrible market here. Stop. That's what they did at the end of each line. You know, if you send a telegram, you say stop at the end. I like the sound of that. So he did, this is a terrible market here. Stop. The people do not wear shoes. Stop. 
No market for shoes. Stop. Why did you send me here? Stop. Returning home. Stop. Another shoe company sent a salesman there to Africa back in the 1800s around the same time. Shortly thereafter, he telegraphed back to the office. Amazing market. Stop. I'm so excited. Stop. Thank you for the opportunity. Stop. The people here do not have shoes. Exclamation point. Stop. Repeat. There are no shoes. Stop. Everyone here needs shoes. Stop. I need more help. Stop. Please send help. Stop. And often we feel like the first guy in the market of the Lord, in the, in the fields of the Lord. No one, wants, no one here wants to be saved. Why did you send me here, Lord? Rather than the second guy. No one here is saved. What an opportunity for the gospel. And the devil is very happy. Let me tell you this. If we're like the first guy. If the church is like the first guy, the devil is happy. He wants us to think that way. He hates that I'm on this series. And Brother Brian's on this series. And Brother Ben is on the series. I have no doubt of that. I could provide evidence, but I'll just leave it at that. But what is Jesus' view? Which salesman, so to speak, view lines up better with Jesus's? So let's go to a scripture and see what Jesus says. John chapter 4, verse 35. John 45, excuse me, John 4, 35. In John 4.35, Jesus said, Do you not say, there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that for which you have not labored, others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. So I would say, based on this passage, clearly Jesus thinks like the second salesman, or should I rather say, the second salesman thinks like Jesus. It's safe to say, based on the words of Jesus, we can all do better in this important area of following him, which is sharing our faith with others. And last time I talked about this, that this is part of our final reward. And this is clear from what we just read here. I mean, this scripture is crystal clear that one of the the areas that we will be rewarded in heaven for is participating in the process of winning souls. Because it says there in verse 36, "He he who reaps receives wages, and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. Now, you don't make it to heaven because you won souls, of course, but there will be rewards in heaven, as I've shared before extensively in the past. So it's never our job to say, this is someone else's job to save others. You know, I don't know if you've seen a wonderful Christian movie, most of you probably have seen it, called Chariots of Fire. Remember that movie from the, I think it was from the 70s or 80s. Da-da-da-da-da-da. I still remember the tune to it. Anyway, it was a true story 
of the Olympic champion, Eric Little from Scotland. Wonderful story. You should watch it. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely watch it. Very edifying movie. And Eric Little, in that, goes on to be a missionary in China after he runs in the Olympics. And he actually perishes in World War II, I believe in a Japanese internment camp. Anyway, he's, he once said, we are all missionaries. Wherever we go, we either bring people nearer to Christ or we repel them from Christ. Interesting. So we're sowing, hopefully. We're watering. Sometimes we're reaping. And we're bringing good fruit with us, which I'm going to talk about shortly. And so, from the time we first get saved, we start to confess Christ, right? When you first get saved, what do you say? You tell someone, I'm a Christian now. What a, what a great... Angels rejoice in heaven when we say such things. I've been born again. I remember I went home, I told my mom, I've been born again. And she was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I've decided to follow Jesus. And you know, when we confess Christ at first, God wants us to make uh, progress through our whole Christian walks in that area. You know, this is something we can get better and better at. We don't have to be stagnant in this area. And the purpose of tonight's message is to help you, me, all of us, to do better in this important area. And I hope we can all agree that we can all get a little better at this. Does everybody here agree that, is it possible for everyone here to get better at winning souls? Hey, look at that. I like it. I agree. Me too. And we should all have a desire to see more people get saved. So, you know, one sows, one reaps, someone breaks up the soil, someone plants a seed. Those are just ex different examples of the whole process. Because God is working all the time in the hearts of the men and women around us. You know, Jesus said a sower went out to sow seed. That's all that sower did was sowed seed that day. But someone had done some work ahead of that sower. And of course, God adds the rain and the sun. God adds the increase, right, the Bible says? God is always working on the hearts of the people in our lives and around us. The Lord of the harvest is overseeing this whole thing. We just need to be mindful that we're playing a small part in it. So I want to talk about for a moment, before I get into my main text, which is the title of tonight's message is Fruit plus fruit equals fruit. There's some math for you, some biblical math. So fishing, I want to talk about fishing for a moment, as they did it in the Bible. You know, Jesus said he called fishermen. Initially, a lot of his disciples were fishermen, as I talked about. And he said to the fishermen, he said to these guys who were fishermen, commercial fishermen, I will make you fishers of men. And so when Jesus said to fishermen, I will make you fishers of men, the fishermen had a backstory. They understood what fishermen do to feed their families. What do fishermen do who must feed their families? What do fishermen do that must feed their families? They do whatever is necessary to feed their families. That's what fishermen do. You know, they would build boats, and they would varnish their boats, and they would weave nets of different sizes. They would fish at sunrise sometimes. Sometimes they would fish in the middle of the night. Sometimes they would fish by day. They would listen for news of, where are the fish? Where are you seeing the fish? You know, Peter, where are you seeing the fish? Nathaniel, where are you seeing the fish? Oh, they're on the east side of the lake right now. They're getting ready to spawn. They would listen. And they would keep their eyes open. You know, they'd, look for, they'd watch for birds. You know, that's a good telling sign. The birds are diving over there. Let's go and throw our nets down. 
If you're a fisherman, you're always looking for birds. They drop their nets sometimes on this side of the boat. In other words, if the water was shallower over here, you know, one of the places fish hang out is on drop-offs. So sometimes the fish are on the top of the drop-off, sometimes they're at the bottom. So sometimes they drop the nets on the right side, and sometimes they would drop the nets on the left side. But they would do whatever was necessary to catch more fish. So when Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men, they understood the complete context of what Jesus was talking about. You see what I'm saying? They weren't saying like recreation, well, I'll go fishing when I feel like it, once a week, once a month. Let me tell you how I relate to this personally. When I first graduated from college, the Lord opened the door through Brother Bob Dean for me to get into the financial planning industry. And that evolved over time. So one of the things, I was 22 years of old, 22 years of old, one of the first things the Lord told me was, I don't don't come from this area. I, I come from Long Island originally. I don't come from this area. The Lord told me, I don't want you selling to anybody in the church. Okay, well, I don't know anybody else but people in the church in Syracuse. I don't want you selling. Okay, so okay, I'm not going to do that. Um, so here I am, a new college graduate. The Lord had provided this job, job for me. God's faithful, right? I have no natural client base to call on. I have no friends around here. I got nobody like that. Um, what am I going to do? Well, I was already married at the time. I had a child on the way uh, shortly thereafter. What do you do? So I just did what I could do. You know, I started, you know, going through old unserviced folders, you know, like a folder like, gee, nobody's talked to this guy in a long time. Let me update his coverage and see what's going on. I did some of that, reviewed old policies. I got a couple leads from other salespeople that I can't even get to these people. Can you go talk to them? Sure, I did that. Um, I did a radio show on Christian radio, five minutes at 4.55 to 5 on, I forget the name of the station. You know, financial tips, got some leads that way. Um, I prepared a newsletter and gave that to the customers that I was working with. I did what I could, where I could, with what I had, right? I had a family to feed. I had myself to feed. And eventually the Lord provided for me. He really did a wonderful source of, really, customers to work with uh, through a large local insurance agency, which later down the road I actually got to own part of that company. So that was really cool. But anyway... I attribute that to tithing, by the way. Um, so it was with the fishermen. You know, they didn't say, oh, well, the fish aren't around, the fish aren't biting. That's the backstory of the fishermen that Jesus said to you, I will make you fishers of men. I can relate to that. I can relate. You got to do what you got to do. So these fishermen, you know, when they were fishing, they would adjust their nets. They would drop their nets here. They would pull them up. They'd try over here. And they did the same thing with the kingdom. They started putting their nets out in the kingdom. They started applying themselves to the, ta- the task at ha- hand, you know. And, and fishing, you, you adapt. You do different things. You, you go to different places. And so, brethren, brother, this is my encouragement to you. Don't stop fishing. Don't stop fishing. Do some different things sometimes. Seek the Lord, you know, to find that way to reach people around you. Start to have a strategy for those around you in your life. It can be a long-term strategy with your neighbors, with the people that you work with, with your friends. Don't stop fishing. Because implicit in the message that they were going to be fishermen was, when you're a fisherman, you do what you got to do to make it happen. They carried that determination over into their effort for souls. Why? And why, did, why, are we, why should all of us be doing this? Because Jesus said, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may re- rejoice together. You know, in heaven, 
there's going to be so much rejoicing going on about the souls that were won and the paths that were laid out from our witnessing. This soul came in because of this brother's faithfulness and all the stories and the sharing and the relating will fill eternity the amazing deeds of the Holy Spirit on this earth. You know, there's an expression in the world that says the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same things and expect different results, right? That's a, that's a solid saying. It's a solid saying. That's why the Bible talks about sharpening your axe, right? Well, I can't split this wood. It's just bouncing off the wood. Well, get that little that hone out and that stone. And You know, I fished with a guy who, who had his favorite spots, and he used to say to me, we, used to, we, we caught him here once. We caught the fish here once. And so we would stay there, wait for the fish to show up. And if you're a shore fisherman, sometimes you get stuck and, you know, you have to fish the spots you got and you kind of wait for the fish to come to you. But if you have a boat, you can move around. You can try different things. You can go to the fish. Sometimes waiting for the fish is okay, but sometimes you got to go to the fish. And that relates to winning souls. So this is what I did back in 2022. I prayed to the Lord. I said, Lord, I want to I have, I'm an older guy. I'm sort of retired. I want to reach more people for Christ, right? That's why I prayed. And a little while later, I saw an online uh, ad for an evangelistic mission called Groundwire, and they were looking for coaches to lead people online to Christ. Basically, people would come in. They, they put advertisements out on social media. I don't really want to get into that much detail tonight, but they basically have people that are hungry for the Lord coming there, and they needed experienced Christian people to witness to them and lead them to Christ. So I prayed, and like a week later, I see this ad. So I would be a fool, right, not to contact those folks, go through the the academy that they have of training and stuff like that. And it, it awakened in me, again, a love for the simple gospel, because they stress the simple gospel. And it has honed my skills a little bit, so I'm better able to share with somebody both online and in person than I was a few years ago even, let's say. You know, you can get rusty, you can get rusty. And the other benefit of it is, you know, I'm excited about the gospel. Right now, because of the, I prayed, Lord, help me to find a way to share with more people. The Lord provided the way. I learned. I'm excited. I'm sharing it with you. Is that not an answered prayer? That's an answered prayer. Praise God. And God answers those kinds of prayers. Are we praying those kinds of prayers? Lord, show me a way to reach more people. Some of you are, and there's no doubt about it. And you know, I see this in the scriptures. Let's, let's go to Luke chapter 14, verse 16. Luke chapter 14, verse 16. Look at, look at, the, look at the, uh, the earnest nature of what we see here in, this, in these verses. Luke 14, verse 16. This is Jesus speaking. We're not going to get it super deep into this, but I do want to read it to you. Then he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. Now the next few verses are the excuses of the people that were the invitees. So I'm going to skip over that. I want to stress a different thing. But the people give excuses why they can't come. Terrible excuses. They're great to talk about and study. They're very interesting excuses. In verse 21, 
So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. And we see here in this passage that the supper holder, different audiences are invited, right? First he goes to his friends. Friends, come to this dinner. Oh, I can't come. Then he goes to those who are hurting, right? Come on in. In fact, it even says a little bit later, it says that he, they bring them in. They like have to carry these people in. And then literally anybody you can find. Compel them to come in. So we see different audiences, right? Different audiences. We got the friends. We got the poor and lame and maimed. And then we have the anybody's. <laughs> and he compels them to come in. People are first invited. Please come, friends. Then they're brought into the wedding. And then they're compelled. So there's an urgency. The, the, the supper holder wants his table full. And this certainly speaks of the marriage feast of the Lamb in heaven. God wants his table full of people from every language, nation, and tongue. And so there's different audiences. There's different people you have to talk with. And there's different things you have to do. Sometimes you have to send them an invitation. Sometimes you have to carry them in. And sometimes you have to wave them in. Stop on the road. Into the supper. Into the supper. So different methods, different peoples. I really see that here. I see that same theme here in this passage. So that's my urgency part of the message. I want us all to participate in that. To pray, to ask the Lord to show you ways to do what yields heavenly rewards. Now, let me talk a little bit about being equipped to share the gospel. I left off last time with a verse which we're going to go to now, which is Proverbs 11.30. If you could turn with me, please. Proverbs 11.30. And last time I covered the end of this verse. And this time I want to cover the first part of the verse. And last time I spoke, I'm going to read the verse to you. Read along with me. It says in Proverbs 11.30, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. And last time I talked about how if you win souls, you're wise from an eternal point of view because at the judgment seat of Christ, certainly that's going to be one of the things that's going to be considered by the Lord, our participation in that. But also it means that you are skillful, which, which if you think about it, when you share the gospel, when you do anything properly, you get better at it over time, Right? There's an old expression in track and field. Uh, a famous pole vaulter said, someone said to him, you're, you're, an, you're an amazing pole vaulter. How do you ever, 19 feet and change, how do you ever do that? He, says, he said, sir, if you do anything 10,000 times under proper instruction, you're going to be good at it. You're going to be good at it. So that's where the part of it is, he that winneth souls is skillful or becomes skillful at it. But tonight I want to talk more about what Brother Brian started talking about uh, two Sundays ago, that there's three kinds of fruit. 
And one of them is definitely converts, as we already saw, saw earlier. And there's also two other fruits. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to talk about, and the fruit produced by changing your ways, the fruit produced by repentance. So, the Lord says in John, you don't have to go there, he says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So whatever the fruit is you're bearing, if you're bearing fruit of a changed mind, that's great. If you're bearing fruit of saving souls, that's great. And if you're bearing the fruit of a disposition of a Christian, that's great. All these things are parts of the Christian life, those type of three fruits. And the righteous person is going to have good fruit in their lives. There's, first of all, the fruit of changed ways. You know, the first thing that happens when you come to Christ is repentance is part of that, right? We turn to Jesus, and when we turn to Jesus, it implies that we're turning away from ourselves and our own ways. That's the 180 of following Jesus. I was going this way, serving myself, and now I'm turning to Jesus, and I'm following him. So repentance starts right at the beginning. That's how the Christian walk begins. And if anyone thinks he's going to follow Jesus but not be required to continue to make constant course corrections in themselves according to God's word, they are really not getting hold of, really grasping the gospel. It's constant course correction. When we say to ourselves in any time in our Christian walks, I'm just okay the way I am, at any level, it is right, that really is the beginning of religion. When we start thinking that way, walking with Jesus involves constant course corrections in our lives. Religion is static. Jesus involves course corrections. In the Hebrew, the word shuv, 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 in the Hebrew, it appears like a bazillion times in the Old Testament. And it involves turning to the Lord. It's the, the Hebrew word for turning. You know, British pastor, theologian, and writer John Stott he, he, had, he had a great quote when I was studying. I had previously saved this in my quote book. John Stott said, listen to this. We must allow the word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. Amen. That is repentance. That is the Christian way. Anyone who thinks that is not the Christian way is absolutely off track. He also said, I have to throw another one in, apathy is the acceptance of the unacceptable. So if we're apathetic about winning souls, that's really bad. That's acceptance of the unacceptable. You know, in all areas of our life, we must be prepared for change. And, you know, that, that's what makes the Christian walk so exciting. Like, every day when I get up, I don't know what Jesus is going to be changing in my life. But I wake up every day with an expectation that I am going to get adjusted by Jesus. Jesus is my chiropractor. He's going to adjust me. Praise God. Changing my mind. So anyway, brethren, there's that first fruit of change in the Christian walk, in the Christian mind. Then there's the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to talk a bit about that. So let's go to Galatians 5.22. I know it's very well known. And I want to talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit as a help to you in winning souls. Because it's part and parcel of this process. The natural product of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives is this good fruit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Galatians 5.22. 
In 522, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Good fruit and good works are produced in a life of faith. And I believe our church, I praise God, that our church is full of the fruit of the Holy Spirit and good works. I really see that in, our, in, in all of our brethren. And I pray that this is growing and abounding, right? That's part of our Christian walk. And that fruit, brothers and sisters, don't underestimate its role in sharing the gospel. I'm going to explain that to you tonight. The fruit of your changed life and the fruit of the Holy Spirit will help you deliver the word of God to those around you. Let's talk about that. In this world, brethren, this kind of fruit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's still sweet. It's still sweet. Even if we live in a world where evil is called good and good is called evil, people on a personal level still like kind people, thoughtful people, considerate people, patient people, kind people, joyful people. They still like it. They still like to work with people like that. Praise God. They still like people that do nice things for others. Thoughtful people. Even in a world where evil is called good and good is called evil. And the Bible tells us this. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter 2, 11. Let's see the role of good works and the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our ministry of winning souls. 1 Peter 2.11. I remember sharing this verse with Brother Bob before we, shared the, before we started the food pantry when he was asking a few folks about that. And I said, boy, I remember this scripture, Brother Bob. I think that's what we've been doing here. It says here in 2.11, Beloved, I beg you as, custom, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. The scripture here talks about how good works, which come out of faith, will pave the way for the gospel to be shared to those around us, for the church at large, and for us as individuals. And that's what the people we serve in the academy that, that does that, the food pantry does that, Christian health does that, the closet, all these things are paving the way for the gospel. That fruit is still sweet to most people today. Someone once said, having fruit in our lives permits us to build a relational bridge with others, and then we take the gospel over that bridge to them. I think that's a good way to put it. So don't underestimate the impact, of, the impact of the fruit, because fruit has a divine purpose. Let's talk about fruit for a moment. Not fruit season, but let's talk about fruit. You know, fruit that we eat is pleasant, and fruit is sweet. If you think about it from the Creator's point of view, fruit is what helps the seed get swallowed. If it wasn't for the banana surrounding the banana seeds, you would never eat banana seeds. If it wasn't for the strawberry with the seeds all over the top of it, you would never eat the seeds of the strawberry. You would never consume it. Even if you eat an apple too fast, you sometimes you'll swallow a seed or the watermelon, right? The fruit contains the seeds. 
And that's across the whole fruit world. I know this is very basic, but I want you to think about this for a minute because it really lines up with the Word of God and the sharing of the Word of God. The seeds of most fruits on earth are consumed simply because they are part and parcel of the fruit. There are not many seeds that we eat aside from the fruit. Now, Brother Tony Gray, was he's a sharp man. He thinks very quickly. He imme- immediately thought of an example, and that's pumpkin seeds. Oh, we eat the pumpkin seeds, and, and that is true. We do eat pumpkin seeds separate from the pumpkin, right? But if you think about it, really, that's not why people grow pumpkins or eat or consume pumpkins. We consume pumpkins so that we can have pumpkin spice lattes at Dunkin' Donuts. That's the real source of why we grow pumpkins, but not really, but pumpkin seeds are a byproduct, right? Pumpkin seeds are a byproduct. We like pumpkin pies. We like pumpkin season. We like to put pumpkins out at harvest time. And then we eat the seeds because they're big enough to see. But generally, across the plant kingdom, most fruits, you're consuming the seed along with the fruit, right? The fruit is the delivery vehicle of the seed. So what am I, how does this relate to the gospel? Well, we already talked about this, really, if you think about it. The good fruit of a Christian life is what enables the gospel seed to be, re- to be received by those around us. I think back to my own experience when I first got saved. Um, Brother Mike Meyer, he went away on a Wednesday, and he was kind of like what we called back in the 70s a burnout. You know, he had long hair and tattered clothing and whatever. He did things like that. And, and he, I, he was in my class on a Wednesday, and he looked that way. And then on Monday, I came into class, and... There's a guy standing across the classroom in a white shirt and a tie and a short haircut. And I'm like, who is that? Mike? So that really got my attention. So that changed life, the fruit of the changed life. And then he was, he was pleasant. He was joyful. He had love. He was kind. That really encased the word of God that he shared with me. The fruit was sweet of what I saw with my eyes. And so that made a real impact on me. And that's primarily the reason why God created fruit in the natural world, to get the seeds eaten and distributed. And the Christian life that you are leading already contains the fruit of the Spirit, so the fruit will be sweet to those around you, and the seed, by and by, can be received because of the sweetness of the fruit. Praise God. And that's why it's so important for us Christians to live, you know, righteous, loving, proper, kind lives. Because God wants the fruit to work with the seed. You know, I've run into some miserable people over the years who call themselves Christians. Not many. <laughs> Not many, but a few. And those are the last people that I would ever receive anything from. You know, I remember one time I was at a gas station and I pulled in. I have a big truck and I didn't pull far, forward far enough. Which, and I would have been glad to move it. This guy comes in behind me, you know, and he's like, he's, he starts mumbling and he goes like, yeah, it's definitely the last days, the way people are so selfish today. He starts going, I'm like, I said, sir, are you talking to me? He said, he goes, yeah, look at the way you parked. And I said, I said, I'm really sorry. Let me move my truck. He goes, oh, okay, that's all right. He goes, I, you know, people today, they're just, uh, he starts talking about Jesus. I'm like, oh my God, you know, really, dude? Anyway, so you run into people like that. Um, But that's an exception, right? And, you know, when we run into somebody who has, let's call them poisonous berries, you ever eat a poisonous berry, by the way? You know, I'm stupid enough to have eaten a poison berry. I've eaten poison berries a couple times, once by accident and once on purpose. Anyway, the good news about poison berries is when you pop them in your mouth, they're really disgusting tasting, A. And B, your throat starts to constrict. At least my experience was it started to constrict. And my mouth went instantly dry, like dry, dry. like So I spit it out, you know. Anyway, 
That's not the type of fruit that the Lord is looking for in our lives. He wants the seed of the Word of God to be contained in love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Now, am I just making up a story about this? Is this just an, an analogy gone, gone wild? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, I'm going to show you some scriptures in a moment. Now, another thing about seeds before I go on, another thing. God also does not want, which is very popular in the marketplace today, God does not want seedless fruit. Seedless fruit. So seedless fruit is when we live these wonderful, pleasant Christian lives, exemplary lives, but we can never wring a testimony out of somebody about Jesus. You know, and many institutions in our country have gone seedless. Do you realize that all the Ivy League colleges that people, you know, Princeton was founded as a, uh, a college to prepare ministers to preach the gospel to American Indians. Princeton. Yale and Harvard had gospel roots. They were founded. You, you'd be, I'd be surprised if, if there was even a gospel ministry on the campus of some of these. I'm serious, because if you read the headlines, well, we don't even want those people here. They don't accept this or accept that. So that's the roots of that. So they started out as seeded fruit, then they became only fruit, and then they became rotten fruit. Right? That's what's happened. And churches have gone that way too. But God wants his fruit to be seedy. Sweet fruit with seeds in them. And when we're only sweet, pleasant, and kind, but we don't share our faith, that's seedless fruit. And that's not good. Now, it also talks about in the scriptures, our speech should be salty, right? That's another version of saying, okay, so we have seeded fruit, but the Lord says our speech should be, seeded, should be seasoned with salt. Salty speech, right? To preserve those around us. So anyway, let's look at a couple scriptures that bear this out. Let's go to Ephesians, so you know that I'm not just an analogy gone wild here. Ephesians 4.15. Ephesians 4.15 is a good example. In Ephesians 4.15, what does it say? It says, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head Christ. So speaking the truth, what is the truth? It is the word of God. It's the gospel seed. How do we speak it? In love. The truth is the word of God. It is the seed. The seed should be encased in love. And people are much more likely to receive the word from people that that they know love them or that care them and show them some kindness. So we should always be speaking the word of God in love. John Stott, going back to a quote from him again, I guess I was on a, a real run here with John Stott quotes. He said, our love grows soft when it is not strengthened by truth. And our truth grows hard when it is not softened by love. That's very much in line. So we have to speak the truth in Love and love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. What's another example? Don't take two or three witnesses. Every every word is established. Let's go to Second Timothy two twenty five. Brother Brian just got done talking about the fruit of the Spirit, and in that message he said that those were examples of the fruit of the Spirit. And then in that verse it says, "And such." Now, Brother Brian, am I, is humility a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Without a doubt. Humility is of an end such fruit of the Holy Spirit. And what does it say here? 2 Timothy 2.25. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. God may know the truth. So we're, we're called to present the truth in love, 
And we're called to present the truth in humility. And humility is the opposite of pride. It's another kind of the fruit of the Spirit. So love and humility are sweet when the Word of God is encased from that perspective. One more example, James 1.19. When you're witnessing to people, you might need to be, this, you might need to apply this scripture. Uh, James 1.19 says, one of my favorite verses that I work really hard at in my life and pray about a lot, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So when you are swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath, what are you exhibiting that's on the fruit of the Holy Spirit list? Long-suffering, patience, right? Self-control, self-control. And when you're witnessing to somebody, you might, not, you might need to be quick to hear. You know, that's a big part of sharing the gospel with people, is listening and empathizing. Listen, empathize. Oh, wow, I'm so sorry to hear that. Oh, that must be tough. Then transitioning to share the gospel, right? So this, this applies to witnessing right here. If you're just like right away, you know, right away. So often in witnessing, brother, let me give you a great tip. I've been reading a book about this, and, and I've been trying to practice this myself. Um, this principle of instead of getting conflictory with people, asking them questions. They make a bold statement. They, make, they say some, you could go right at it with them right away, like, there's no God. Yes, there is. No, there isn't. Yes, there is. Or you might say, can I ask you a question? Sure. Why do you think that? What's your basis for that? Different conversation, right? Different conversation. So in that example, we are quick to hear. There's no God. Slow to speak. Certainly slow to wrath, not to get angry. So anyway, those are examples now. The fruit of the Holy Spirit helps us because it's sweet. Those, that type of behavior is sweet. Helps the word of God be accepted. Praise God. All right, so let me, uh, let me go on to the next and final point here. Let's, let's, let's go back to that verse in Proverbs again. And I want to talk about what happens when that seed gets received. It says it becomes a tree of life. You know, brethren, part of the reason why we want to share the gospel is God is looking to plant more and more seeds in this world. And those seeds turn into trees of righteousness. That's how the gospel spreads in this world. You know, maybe you're in the line. Think about this. I was thinking about this today. Maybe you're in the line, the lineage, of some great man of God that was a tree of righteousness. And that person shared the gospel with somebody. And that person shared the gospel with somebody. And that person shared the gospel with you. And you got saved. And, you know, we can, we can go all the way back. We can trace the trees of righteousness all the way back to Jesus. Do you realize, you ever think about that? That's your, spirit, your spiritual lineage. You can trace what saved you all the way back to Jesus. And in between were all these trees of righteousness, which God says we are. We're trees of righteousness. We're trees of righteousness. And you can trace your lineage all the way back to Jesus. And who knows who is downstream of you? That's so exciting. Who knows who you might lead to the Lord, who then might lead somebody else to the Lord, who might be a great evangelist, or who might affect a hundred lives or a thousand lives? That's really cool. That's part of the excitement of being a tree in the Lord and being a tree of righteousness. I praise God for that. And sometimes there's humble trees, and sometimes there's great trees. It doesn't really matter. 
When we share the gospel, we're part of that process of the fruit, planting the seed, turning it to a tree, which produces fruit, and so forth and so forth. Now I want to switch into my final point here is I want to just share with you one additional thought. And that is every single person who comes to Christ. Sometimes we, we make too much out of witnessing. We make it into this giant thing. But actually, every single person who comes to Christ has almost from the moment they're saved everything that they need to share the gospel. Everything we need. And let me, let me explain to you in, in summary here. I don't want to take up a lot of time, but I want to cover this. First of all, you couldn't have gotten saved without the gospel, right? So someone shared the gospel with you. So you already have the gospel. And what is the gospel? You know, you can, you can summarize the gospel as easy as this. I said it to a young lady the other day. Here's the gospel in four words. Let me explain it to you. God, you, Jesus, decision. Let me explain. And I explained to her about the holiness of God and how we can't approach God. He's so holy. We'll never, we can never do it on our own. We're sinners. We've all broken God's laws. We've broken all of God's commandments in thought or in deed. So holy God, sinful us, I can't approach him. Jesus came to earth to pay the price for our sins, to satisfy a holy God. And when we believe on him and make him our Lord, all of his goodness gets transferred to us and all of our sin gets covered by his blood. Praise God. That's the gospel. That's how you get saved. And I have to make a decision on that. And if I make a decision for Jesus to be my Lord, I receive eternal life. So right from the get-go, brethren, you've got the gospel. God made the gospel so simple that a child could explain it. The second thing we all have is we all have a testimony. We all have a testimony. What did God just do in your life? You know, I think of the, of the blind man that Jesus healed. If you remember that account um, where the Pharisees were ganging up on the guy saying like, you know, what did he, what did he do to you? you, know, you he, he healed on the side, you know, all this type of accusations. And the blind man said to him, I'll, let me read you the quote. You probably are familiar with it. Let me just grab that in my notes here. Oh, he said here, he said, whether he's a sinner or not, this is in uh, John 9, 25, the blind man said, whether, this is his testimony. Listen to this testimony. Whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. Isn't that neat? He had a testimony. If, you, if you've watched the series uh, uh, The Chosen, um, I love the, the testimony of, of Mary Magdalene in that. Um, if I remember correctly, she's, she says, uh, let me see if I can find it real quick in my notes here. Um, yep, so here she says, I love this line. She goes, I was one way. She says this to Nicodemus. You know, it's a made-up story. That part's a made-up story, but this is a cool testimony. She says, I was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. We have a testimony. We got the gospel. That's how you got saved. You got the testimony because even if you just said to a person, I just, I just shared a testimony the other day with a guy who came to me, and he was asking about financial stuff. He wasn't a saved guy. And I said to him, let me share with you, this is what I believe about your finances. And I talked about Jesus and how I started to follow Jesus, and Jesus started to bless my finances. He always provided. And the guy said, man, I want that. So my testimony turned into an opportunity to give him the gospel. So that was kind of cool. So we have the gospel, we have the testimony, and you also, I already covered what you have. You got the fruit. You already got the fruit. I don't care if you've been following Jesus for three days, three weeks, three months, three years. You already have changed 
You're not done changing, but you've already changed. You already have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life, right? You were miserable, now you have joy. You weren't that loving, now you have more love. So really, brethren, God has equipped us right from the get-go to be trees of righteousness. you got a wonderful testimony you can share with anybody. The gospel is literally that simple. You could study on it a little more, certainly. And we got fruit in our lives, which helps the seed go down. So I just want to encourage everybody with that. That's been speaking to my heart. I've been trying to live that out by the grace of God. I want to share that with all of you. hope it's a blessing. The word of God always is. So, all right. So I'm just going to close with a word of prayer. Thanks for, thanks for your attention. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth, Lord. It always sets us free, Father. Thank you for clearing up our questions. Thank you for fully equipping us to share the gospel with other people, Lord. Help us to be uh, urgent about it, Lord, like the fishermen were and like the, the servants who compelled to the, the supper, Lord, were. Let, let us be urgent in our work for you, Lord. We know that there are heavenly rewards on the line. We know that there are souls in, in danger on this earth. Help us to share your word that their lives might be changed. Please bless everybody here tonight who heard this message. Help them all to think about it, meditate on it, and apply it in their lives. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless.